Julie at Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello and welcome to episode 137 of Dogcast Radio. In this episode, we have the heartwarming story behind the book on Toby's terms. I really believe that Toby came into my life to shake it upside down and and turn it upside down and teach me some lessons that I didn't know I needed to learn. We have Lizzie Owen talking about her assistance dog. I had dogs and shows so much. Um, Without Bella, my first dog, I doubt I I would have got my degree. And now I've got Frodo and... We're doing so many things together and enjoying life together. And, you know, it's all down to dogs for the disabled. But before all that, we have an interview with author Tamsin Pickerel and photographer Astrid Harrison, who have collaborated on a beautiful new book called The Spirit of the Dog. If the cover is anything to go by, this book will be gorgeous. But I wanted to find out more about what was actually in the book, so I asked them both to tell me more. Basically, the the book is about um, different dog breeds, uh, but it's not really a breed reference book. It's more about how breeds developed through time and um, how dogs sort of evolved alongside human cultures, where they came from um, and how, as people, human cultures sort of spread across the world, taking their dogs with them, how that impacted on, on the development of different dog breeds. So it's sort of mixing all sorts of things up into one sort of great historical book <laughs> yeah yeah you you do pick vast subjects don't you you do challenge yourself <laughs> as a as a reader of it though it's um it's a hybrid so you could pick it up at any point it's not like a long lengthy history which you might you know spend hours reading from start to finish you can pick it up open it and you'll come across a breed read about it flick the page you'll be onto the next breed and you'll learn about the history of that breed so it's very much it's very informative and very well researched, but it's a, a sort of hybrid coffee table. It's a pick up, put down book, so you can pick it up and and have a flip through and put it down. It's not a fr- it's not sort of a front front cover to back cover read. Yeah, yeah. I bet it's one of those books though that you pick up and start reading, and then you whoever you're with you going listen to this bit. This is what it says about you know because <laughs> it's it is a fascinating area, and there's no other species that we've tinkered with like we have with dogs is there because we've we've sort of we've got such a variety from the chihuahua to the great dane we have produced a huge variety of dogs for a huge variety of of purposes haven't we we have yeah i mean what's really interesting is is that most of it's happened relatively recently so the majority of dog breeds are actually relatively young so it was only really in the 19th century that people start late 19th century that people started to really um, decide to breed certainly the the, the, the pet dog um, into different shapes and sizes, uh, which is quite interesting. So you've got a lot of a lot of breeding all being concentrated into quite a small period of time. Mm-hmm. Perhaps perhaps that's why we've done so, so much damage with some of the, uh, the breeding we've done. Um, before that time, then, um, um, what sort of breeds were around? If there wasn't the variety there is now. What sort of dogs would we have seen sort of, you know, 250, 300 years ago then? Well, you had your basic types um, of dogs. So you had your Spitz dog and, um, say, for example, your Arctic Spitz dogs, which which were essential to life in in the Arctic um, and much of much of um, Asia as well. Um, you had your Sighthounds, obviously, which uh, Astrid and I are both huge fans of. <laughs> mm. 
um, and all your mastiffs. I mean, there were there were there were very clear um, types of dog, yeah, and dogs for for working livestock and these sort of things. But it, it was so you had definite types, and, and obviously people bred the best to the best for for purpose. But it was only really in the late 19th century that dog breeds were sort of organized into specific breeds and you got the development of breed societies and things yeah um, yeah so mm. you've, you've mentioned there you're both dog fans um what was it that led you to write the book was it that love of dogs i mean absolutely yeah um, yeah that goes to both of us yeah. it um it it started with horses really and we um we exhausted that possibility and uh, <laughs> dogs were just a natural evolution yeah yeah and i mean have you had to you we've said there's so many breeds out there have you had to limit the the breeds that you've chosen for the book and how did you decide who would be included well we decided very much together really because um obviously astrid doing all the photographs um she, you know it it is quite difficult for her to to actually find some of the breeds um so we had, so we, we sort of made a selection. We wanted to include um, some rarer breeds as well as as well as breeds that people everybody knows. Um, but also we had to balance that with breeds that, that were accessible for for Astrid to find, and I'm sure she can tell you about where she had yeah. to go to get them. Yeah, slightly geographically challenged, really, because of the time frame involved as well. So I think the initial list we looked at was about 200 breeds. Um, and we brought that down to 90 just really by looking at the map, looking at the time frame and looking at accessibility. Um, the sort of the harder ones to find were out in the States. And I, I sort of put a pin in the map when I found one and then headed there and searched for pedigrees around the area. Yeah. Uh, but the, for instance, the blue tick coonhound, which, you know, we really wanted to see working and doing what it does rather than sat standing in a show ring, you know, looking... And then just like another dog, you know, yeah, which, yeah, which is what it's about. So that was amazing, and that was sort of in Northern California. I found this lovely lady, and she took me out for the day, and we were climbing trees, and the dogs were running around, and she was sort of scenting toy raccoons, so the dogs were essentially training, and um, I was just documenting it, and that was fantastic. Yeah, so that was really how how we sort of came up with the final list really sort of going back to your question yeah um, yeah it, sometimes isn't your work I mean I, and I mean our work a, a great excuse or reason to meet some lovely people though <laughs> seriously <laughs> and some lovely dogs <laughs> well yes that's that's the bonus <laughs> yeah, you're right of all the work Tam and I have done and the travels we've gone on together we've, we've been reminiscing this week and just some of the characters that we've come across, you know, we might not even speak the same language, but we share this common interest. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's quite special. And it's really important for us in the book as well that we've, um, I think, as Astrid mentioned, we haven't wanted to just depict um, sort of, you know, pedigree show. Well, they are all pedigree, but not show rings, show bench um, dogs. So we've got old dogs and young dogs and um, dogs that have had, you know, accidents. And then they're not all... They're not all sort of blue ribbon winners, really. Um, yeah, yeah. And that was important for us. And we wanted to show, well, Ashton wanted to show them um, in their, you know, as close to doing what they, sh- they should be doing or were bred to do. Yeah, yeah. Where, where possible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you've mentioned um, America there. What other countries did you have to go to? For the dog book, um, it was only the UK and America. And I think I went to three or four different locations in America. Mm. And the States is just fantastic for shooting because you get the light, you've got the diversity, the um, the landscape. 
Um, I spent some time in Colorado and out in California and and in New York, actually. And that, that was really helpful to be able to get a contrast for, for the book, really, and get dogs photographed in different locations. Yeah, um, yeah. It's it's difficult. I, I find it difficult living, you know, being being English, being British, to, to wrap my head round the size of America. And uh, as you say, it's just, it contains all... I mean, when we, we were in Florida and sort of on the same coast up in New York, they were saying they'd got snow and we'd got blazing sunshine. You think, <laughs> how can this be in the same country? It is vast, isn't it? Oh, it's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The, the nature of the publishing world and releasing the book in October, the deadline sort of backtracking had to be spring, Therefore, my shooting or our working time frame was throughout the winter. So, well, I got some amazing, amazing opportunities down in Wales, photographing um, and really sort of atmospheric stuff. But actually, the States was a great balance to that because of the, the availability of the sunshine, as well as the snow just down the road, as you say. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. OK. Difficult question now. Of those 90 breeds, then, do you each have a favourite? <laughs> Remy, shut your ears. <laughs> it's not the whippet. <laughs> He's dead to the world. Um, I, the, the the cover girl, um, Minnie, is um, a Saluki who I, I was photographing her long before the book came about, and she's a bit of a muse, really, for me. And I love her. She's amazing. But definitely the sight hounds. I'm afraid I'm also a sight hound person. I've always been a massive greyhound fan as well a greyhound and whippet but um greyhounds for me really i guess they they probably win <laughs> yeah yeah and out on the cliffs running with townsend and i this morning you'd know why we both like gre- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's funny because um greyhound fans and sight hound fans often sort of say we don't get enough of sight hands you know on the covers of dog magazines and and things like that and yet they are so striking and sort of regal looking, aren't they? They are amazing. I mean, they're so, so beautiful. I, I mean, for Astrid, well, I'll let Astrid tell you about photographing them, but certainly to write about as well. They've just got um, so much history and they're, they're just incredible all-round dogs. As you can tell, I'm a huge fan. <laughs> <laughs> they, are, they are amazing. They're just the elegance, as you can see with Minnie on the front. Um, she's just they're just there's something going on in their head and their minds and you can see it and just watching them through the lens is incredible yeah uh, the the slugies they were beautiful and they're very rare and they actually came to one of the book signings the other day and they were just standing there weren't they just like mm-hmm. statues they're just remarkable yeah so, yeah as much as we love every breed in the book and every breed that's not in the book yeah what just out of interest what was the the hardest um breed to, to work with not necessarily because it's a difficult breed to work with but what was what breed for the, the purposes of the book was the biggest challenge to to photograph yes to actually you know once you'd found them i don't i'm not talking about sort of locating where they are but actually to work with um i found the pekingese quite difficult hmm it's, um I don't know why, really, and it was probably a number of factors, but, um, they're, yeah, they're totally... I mean, if you look at the, the form of the Pekingese compared to a Saluki, you can probably... I don't know, the difference. Yes. I just love the architecture of photographing the Saluki, and I guess the Pekingese, for me, doesn't have that. Yeah. Do you, they're, they're sort of... I don't know. They're very, they're without very wishing sweet. to upset all yes. the Pekingese owners. <laughs> no. Well, it's... 
They are incredibly fluffy, aren't they? I mean, we, we met um, one of Jenny's friends. Their family has a Pekingese. And they were saying to me they'd got various um, things they wanted to do with him. And one of the things was just train him to do some, some things and fairly basic stuff. So I said, well, OK, I'll bring my clicker over and I'll bring some treats and, you know, we'll have a go. And I'm saying to this dog, um, sit and looking at him. And I can't see actually any change in his body. And I'm going, has he, has he sat down? <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> oh, my goodness, that's exactly, oh. yeah. Yes. Let's say no more. <laughs> I mean, he was a beautiful... He, he very made me think, actually, although on a much smaller scale, of Chewbacca from Star Wars. Oh. Because <laughs> he, he just had that, you know, fluffy nature, but yeah. uh, fluffy appearance. But, um, yes, I, I, could, I just could not tell whether he was standing or sitting. <laughs> it's, that's so that's hilarious. <laughs> And just um, using an, another dog as an example, um, the Labrador. I just, we had so much fun doing that shoot because there was one of the Labradors I photographed was leaping out into this lake. We were throwing sticks, and it was quite an interactive thing, um, yeah. which can make a shoot quite fun mm. to write about. I don't know what was what was challenging. Um, from a research perspective, yeah, perhaps. I mean, it was quite it was it was quite an interesting um, slash challenging book to do because it was released or it is being released in the US as well as England, and obviously the breed standards are completely different um, in the US to, to, to the standards in England. So it was quite difficult to balance uh, and also to balance the historical side of things um, to, to keep both the American market and the British market happy, um, which I, th- I think we did manage in the end. But it, it, we did have to be and we, we did reprint completely um, for the British edition um, with, with, stat- with uh, descriptions that were more in, in line with the British standards. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was quite it was quite difficult um but yeah no I, I can't really say that there was one breed that was difficult to write about um really mm. and is, is the information fairly accessible to, to sort of find out about them um some i mean obviously uh, your more your more famous breeds like the labrador um and and those sort of things it, it was relatively easy some some of them it was there it, it involved a lot of digging um but i actually quite enjoy the the research digging type side of it <laughs> so <laughs> i really enjoy all of that and i and i got to speak to some amazing people and some real authorities on different breeds which was fantastic and, and a real privilege as well yeah, yeah. Did it change your view of, of any breeds? Did you, did you sort of go in thinking this dog is, you know, I mean, I'm thinking, for example, you know, Basset Hounds, uh, you know, you have an image of them as sort of fairly much couch potatoes. And then when you actually see them in action, they can be very um, energetic. So did it change your views of any breeds? I think I'm more of a fan of little dogs than I ever was. Mm. I got to spend time with some of them, and their characters are oh, brilliant. Yes, um, yeah. Tito the Pomeranian um, was just amazing, <laughs> and we ran around New York, and Tito was just like a little grumpy little man, yeah, in a lovely way. And then he, his owner Jorge, was just his character bounced off him as well. And I don't know. I was just amazed by how much I enjoyed hanging out with little dogs. Not that. I don't know if I'd ever want one because I, I'm a bigger dog sort of person, but I love, I love little dogs more. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's when when you spend time with them because again, I, mean, I we um, I had a Labrador, and my daughter chose to have a Bichon, um, and it's when 
when you actually spend time with them and, and living with her and sort of observing her just made me think, wow, actually, you know, there's a lot of spirit. I mean, the book's called The Spirit of the Dog. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of spirit in a small body. It's, they are very admirable, I think. Yeah, no, I'm, I, I completely agree. Mm, mm. Um, okay, we've talked about your favourite breeds. What dogs do you, you guys have? I have a, a whippet. He's six months old, and he is the result of doing the book. Um, <laughs> I did a lot of research, <laughs> and yeah, I, I came up with whippet. And he is just amazing. He's absolutely amazing. Um, I had a Labrador uh, when I was young, mm. and, a, and a Ridgeback, um, but I've, I've got a whippet at the moment. And Tam's got. I've got a um, an Australian Shepherd who um, she actually used to be a working cattle dog in the US when I lived in the States, and she retired over there. And then I brought when I moved back to England, I brought her brought her back with me. Um, so I have her, and I and I used to have a Labrador who sadly passed away quite recently. Um, but I've I've again had sight hands in the past, um, lurchers, and I had, I grew up with lurchers and a whippet. So. Mm. Um, my, my next dog will definitely be a greyhound. <laughs> <laughs> well, life has a way of turning out not how you expected, so I'll That's be interested. What you... <laughs> You'll probably fall in love with the Pekingese now. <laughs> and that won't want to come jogging with you, will it? <laughs> no. She'll be carrying it in a backpack. We will, you know, we will update you on the Pekingese situation. <laughs> OK. You're going to have to switch to cycling then. You can have the dog in the basket on the front. Brilliant. Oh, good idea. <laughs> yeah. Now, by, by the way, anybody listening to this that does go jogging with a Pekingese, don't get offended, get in touch. I want to know if you do go jogging <laughs> with your Pekingese. Yeah, I want to know. the best breeds for jogging? Yeah. Because, um, I've definitely tripped over a few times with the, with the puppy, but um, I think he's pretty good now. Yeah, yeah. See, perhaps perhaps that's why I don't go jogging. I just don't have the right dog breed. That's the problem, <laughs> you see. Yeah, is that it, Julie? Yes. It's not that I'm lazy, honestly. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, um, it, it sounds a really great book. Where can people buy it? It's online. Um, so obviously you can buy it through Amazon. It's also in, in most of the Waterstones. Um, and also a lot of independent, small independent bookshops are selling it as well. So basically, if, if, if people are looking for it, they're probably best to inquire in their local bookshop first because we're all about supporting local bookshops rather than um, online companies. But <laughs> uh, And people will order it in for you if they don't have it in stock. Yeah, great. And... and um, Astrid, do you have a website? Um, I do, yes. It's um, astridharrison.com. It's just my name. Excellent. And, uh, Tamsin's is tamsinpickerel.com. And actually, neither of us sell the book through the site, but we both have links to the, to the book on, um, I think, Amazon, perhaps Waterstones. So feel free to visit our sites and you can be able to find out where to, where to get the book from. Yeah, and the actual book has a website, doesn't it? Spiritofthedog.com. <laughs> The spirit of the dog. The, okay, the spirit. Oh, I would have put the wrong link on then. <laughs> okay. End up somewhere really weird if you go to spirit of the dog. <laughs> <laughs> Something totally different. But in fact, my friend sent me a picture yesterday um, of her in New Zealand holding the book in a local bookshop oh, down really? there. Yeah, Gosh, that's amazing. So it's it's gone global, which is great. Yeah, yeah, lovely. It's it's when that the feedback starts to come back that you the you know it's sort of. It stops being a project that's been a lot of work for you and starts being something that touches other people then, doesn't it? And that's when the fun starts for you as as the creators of it, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. And we've had some really amazing comments already on the book, which makes it also sort of worthwhile, really. So it's been great. 
Excellent. Now, after such a, a mammoth task as that, what are you moving on to? Are you going to work together again or are you moving on to separate projects? Well, we are computers are right next door to each other and we are researching for the next uh, next project at the moment, which Ooh. Tam can tell you about. Which is um, a book about cats. <laughs> ah, excellent, excellent. So, yeah, we're doing, um, we're, we're actually doing that at the moment. Astrid started photographing and I've started, um, started writing about cats. And um, we have a couple of other projects uh, lined up as well. Um, so hopefully those will be kicking off next year. Yeah. Well, listen, when you get to Spirit of the Duck, I've got some you can come and photograph. Excellent. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Thanks ever so much for uh, talking to me. You've been great fun and the book sounds lovely. Thanks. Thank you, Julie. Thanks Thanks very much, Julie. We have some of the photographs from The Spirit of the Dog on the Dogcast Radio website, as well as all the relevant links. And if the images appeal to you, you can buy greetings cards and limited edition prints of some of them too. My thanks to Tamsin and Astrid for being such fun guests, and I can't wait to see the book. Dogs have three eyelids. The third lid, called a nictitating membrane, or whore, keeps the eye lubricated and protected. You're listening to Dogcast Radio on www.dogcastradio.com. Charmaine Hammond's book, On Toby's Terms, is a heartwarming story of how Toby went from being a very troubled dog to one who found a purpose and some peace. Of course, he took Charmaine on that journey with him. But way back at the beginning, she had no idea how he would change her life when she adopted him. Oh, well, we, my husband Christopher and I were just at a point in our life where we needed a dog. We had lost um, our first dog, Dukes, who had passed away at the age of 11, mm. and it had now been a year and a half, and uh, I was ready to have some more love towards a dog, and we were looking at shelters and, uh, you know, the newspapers, and then my husband found this dog on the internet, and I started to have an internet <laughs> love affair with this dog named Toby, who, uh, was a, who was five years old. He was a Chesapeake Bay Retriever. I'd never seen one before, mm. and uh, had the brightest eyes and the biggest pink floppy tongue I'd ever seen, and he literally had me at woof. When I met him in person, I knew I had to have him. Aww. We filled out the adoption papers, and we eventually got the yes. Excellent. Isn't it funny how some dogs you click with more than others? I mean, I, I like all dogs, but there's sort of been a couple of dogs that I met and I'd sort of thought, you know, I would take you home with me today. You know, it's, it's, it does happen, doesn't it? <laughs> it is. And, you know, it's funny because um, after we brought Toby home, people were all saying, you know, I, Toby chose you too. So we were certainly a, a, a match made in heaven. And he was five when we got him. And the interesting part is we wanted an older dog because we didn't want to go through all the puppy training and ripped toilet paper and chewed shoes. So we bought this dog that, or adopted this dog that's five years old and, you know, just seemed perfect in every way. Mm. And he was perfect for the first six months. (laughs) (laughs) So what changed after six months? Because it's quite a story, isn't it? What changed after six months? My husband comes home from work at about five o'clock and he tries to get in the house and Mm. something's blocking the door. He can't open the door. 
So he has to go in through the dog door in our <laughs> in our kitchen, and he so he kind of pokes his head through the dog door. And as he told me this story, because I was at work still, um, the house was he he wasn't even look, thinking that he was looking at his own house. Everything that could be moved, except the piano that was too heavy, <laughs> everything that could be moved, knocked off broken it was just a complete disaster oh my and goodness. every room oh every room and the weird thing was every one of our toilets had been broken <gasps> uh three toilet tank lids were smashed on the floor wow so, do you, i mean do you know what what sparked that behavior in him what made him do it <laughs> well you know chris the house was in such bad shape. He phoned the neighbor to come over, Heather, because he thought a crime had happened. I mean, he thought there's no way a dog could do all this. Yeah, it sounds so he, like yeah. Oh, and sure enough, up the stairs comes Toby, and Toby did do all that. And <laughs> we, we, that was the first of many incidents to come. And we learned that he was terrified of loud noises. So Mondays was a problem because the garbage truck came around and it had that loud beeping up noise or the, mm. you know, the backing up beeper. And then, um, you know, the, the, the garbage truck was a, a one challenge. The recycle truck that came on Wednesdays was a problem. And, and we, we believe that in his first family, he wasn't really alone much. Yeah, and yeah. that once he'd settled in, um, you know, our routines were pretty predictable. But um, we're not sure exactly what happened that day, but we do know that following that, we replaced several more toilets oh, <laughs> and put our closet back together on almost a daily basis until yeah. we got help for Toby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean... It- Obviously, now looking back, you know you've got sp- some perspective on it, and you can see the journey that you you went on, and you can you can perhaps make sense of it. But I mean, at the time when you are living with a dog like that, you know that's a huge challenge. So, how did you get through it and sort of keep him and not think I can't cope with this? You know, and and he ended up back in rescue. Mm. I, I'm so glad you asked that question because, in all honesty, there were many times. Um, that I was thinking, how will we keep this dog? You know, every day we're coming home to um, some challenge and we just thought we corrected one behavior or one challenge and, um, you know, something else would happen. Like one thing we tried, for example, was leaving the radio on and it was like, oh, yes, this works. We've had no destruction for five days. But then one day we left the radio on and it went all staticky at some point during the day. And then, of course, the house was trashed. And so we thought we need professional help. We're pet parents, not pet experts. And we brought in a behaviorist. We, We were so in love with Toby that while we got frustrated, um, we did make that decision that we need, that this dog is part of our family and we're just not going to give up. Yeah. And, uh, it was a struggle though sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and was, when you, when the behaviorist came in, sort of wish, I imagine she might've been quite flabbergasted at what was going on, but <laughs> cause I would have been. <laughs> um, so did she well, manage to help? Of course he was on his best behavior that day. <laughs> Isn't that always the truth? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. But she was able to help you. Oh, she was very able to help us. What was interesting is she came into the house. She was probably there. Maggie was there probably two hours. And she said, just, you know, pretend I'm not here, which is almost impossible to do. Mm. But we, you know, he kind of went around his daily routines. The first thing she noticed 
was the peculiar way that Toby ate his food. She had come around dinner time, and Toby would eat his food one kernel at a time, but while he was chewing the kernel, he would walk around the house, check on Chris, check on me, make sure he knew where every single one of his toys was, and come back, grab another piece of food, and do the same routine. So Maggie said, that's so interesting. And I said, you know, I just thought it was kind of odd. And we just put it down to that's just Toby. And she said, well, what this behavior is telling me is that he has a real need to take care of his surroundings and kind of police his home. Mm-hmm. And he's so in tune with you and Chris. And we had never looked at Toby in that way. And then the second thing she said just, um, you know, impacted me so profoundly. She said, I think that Toby is a dog who needs a purpose. Toby needs a job. Hmm. And I had never thought of that. And when she said that, that's where our world with this dog really transformed. Yeah. Isn't that strange? I, um, I, I'm very friendly with a, a, a trainer in this country, a behaviorist in this country called Debbie Connolly. And um, she, she does Bravo Working Dog Rescue. And it's often the, the real problem dogs that they need a job. They need a purpose. So what, what, um, what job did you find for Toby? Well, it was, we got him a job at a hospital. And it was, it was Maggie's recommendation. She said, I think Toby has the perfect disposition to be a therapy dog. Now, I have to be honest, I laughed when she said that because I had this vision of Toby running through a hospital, knocking over (laughs) oxygen tanks and pushing people in their wheelchair. And then she said, Charmaine, you know, look at how tender and loving he is to people. Look how attentive he is to everyone who he interacts with. Yeah. And she said, he, he's perfect. So we took him to a local organization, an animal-assisted therapy group uh, called Chimo, and they did all kinds of tests with him, behavioral, temperament, obedience, and they said he's perfect for the job. And he got a volunteer job in a mental health facility for adults, a psychiatric hospital. Wow. And did that calm him down? Did that help with the behavior as well? You know, this is where it gets really interesting. It really did calm him down. What happened when uh, we had finished the training, I took Toby for his job interview at the hospital, and I, I had put a bandana on so he would look really snappy with a red bandana and matching leash. And when we walked up the stairs, and at this point we were just going into the administration office, I watched this dog change. He all of a sudden sort of lost his goofiness. He, his posture was different, and he walked in there like he had been in there a hundred times. He went over to the reception desk with me and greeted the lady, sat down without needing to be told, mm-hmm. and I thought, wow, something interesting is happening. And then we walked down the hallway. He stopped in every single office wanting to greet the people. Oh. No barking, just and I thought, this is a dog on purpose. He's in his passion. Yeah. And then the next week, we started on the unit. And um, his behavior from there on just curbed. I mean, we didn't see the destruction as much. He mm. still had his occasional garbage day issues. And, yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> lightning storm issues because of the noise. But his behavior improved dramatically. Isn't that incredible? Because, you know, as you were talking about him and sort of saying he's very sensitive to his surroundings, you would, you would possibly yeah. think that sort of to go amongst people with problems like that 
might impact negatively on him, but obviously it didn't. And who knows? You know, when you say his behaviour changed, who knows what they sense about us and what they pick up about us? And But they definitely can sense a need to interact with them, can't they? Absolutely. I remember the first day we volunteered for four and a half years uh, with that same hospital, same unit. And the first day he walked through the door, he was a little nervous. I mean, there's new smells, there's new noises, but his confidence wasn't shaken, which I was really surprised about. And he walked up to the first patient who clearly was nervous of big dogs. And something happened. I can't explain it, but he just knew he needed to sit. And then he lied down and he wouldn't make eye contact with her. Mm. And I thought, well, that's odd. And then he went to another patient who was very playful and cuddly and, and kind of outgoing. And he walked up to that patient. He put his head on her lap and start and put his head underneath her hand and started flicking her hand up in the (laughs) air. And immediately they played. And I thought, wow, something's happening here that I don't really understand. But He's caught on with his observation and his intuitive nature. You know, I, I've heard this from um, therapy dog owners before that you, you're just there with the lead. You know, you have to be there, but you're not actually doing that much. It's the dog that's doing the doing that's, kind of thing. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Now, I, I sometimes think that sort of when you have a, a dog that's had a difficult time, you know, um, I mean, for example, we, we have um, three dogs, Labrador and Abishan, no bother at all, you know, brilliant dogs I wouldn't say you you wouldn't didn't know they were there because you know you definitely do know they're there but no problems we've had a border collie he's had problems but he's taught me more than the other two have you know in some ways so I think the problem dogs are the ones that teach you they're not always the lessons that you would have set out to learn you know Um, but I know you feel that sort of Toby taught you a lot so what what did he teach you yeah he, I really believe that Toby came into my life to shake it upside down and, and turn it upside down and teach me some lessons that I didn't know I needed to learn, just like mm. he said. And he yeah. taught me about patience. You know, with, with Toby, change didn't come quickly. Mm. And I had to be patient. And uh, I realized sometimes in life, you know, outside of Toby, I wasn't as patient as I could be. He also taught me about persistence. I realized that Sometimes in life, I had given up on my goals or dreams a little too soon. Mm-hmm. And Toby really taught me to persist. And uh, I think the best lesson Toby taught me was to stop being a perfectionist. <laughs> <laughs> you can't live with a dog who trashes your house and turns it upside <laughs> down and expect perfection. And I was in love with him, so he wasn't going anywhere. So I needed to do the changing. <laughs> yeah, And it was yeah. the greatest gift ever. Yeah, yeah. Now, as I understand it, he helped you overcome um, a sailboat accident that you'd had before you had him. Is that right? Yes, yeah. My husband and I, yeah, years before we got Toby had a sailboat accident. And and what happened there? We were sailing in a catamaran, and the catamaran slipped, which is usually no problem. And for some sailors, it's actually fun. That wasn't fun for me, but what basically happened, the short story is we were out on a 16-foot Hobie Cat catamaran. We flipped the boat. We were able to get the boat righted in a very short order of time, and um, as I was trying to get up on the boat, I couldn't get my body weight up on the boat, and so Chris just swam around in the water to give me a push-up, and at that very moment, a big gust of wind hit the boat, and the boat took off with me being dragged behind it. Wow. 
And so, we, yeah, it was absolutely terrifying. We were seven miles off one shore, four miles off the other shore, mm-hmm. and um, in a very cold lake, and uh, no help immediately available. And, and um, we swam for our lives for over four hours. Wow. And uh, it, it was very close, uh, very dire situation for Chris, more so than me. Mm. But um, the good news is that we got rescued and uh, we got married. Chris actually proposed to me um, in sort of a proposal. He mm. said, when we, get, when we get back on the shore, we've got a wedding to plan. And so <laughs> I was able to take off like an Olympic swimmer and go get help and <laughs> get rescued. Now I'm giving you the short version of the story. But, mm. but we were married a year later, but I was terrified to sail. I would not get on that boat. Yeah. And many years later, Toby comes into our family, and he's terrified of diving off a dock into the water. Hmm. So, yeah, so I'm watching Chris, my husband, teach Toby how to dive in the water, this dog who was terrified of jumping off the dock. He loved to swim, Hmm. but he was, I think, the distance between the water and the dock. It was nervous. And then when he did it, it was like a Superman flying. He, like shot his front legs out in front, his hind legs out back, and it was almost like he had a cape. I mean, he soared through the air and mastered it, and he kept running. We couldn't stop him. He just kept doing it over and over and over again. And I thought, you know what? If this dog can conquer his fear of diving, I'm going to get back on that silly sailboat, and I did. Yeah, yeah. Do you know I can... um... I can identify with the terror you felt because we were um, we were on Loch Ness in Scotland, which is a huge loch, and mm-hmm. the the weather just changed and the engine. We would have been all right, but the engine on the boat failed as well because we were being thrown away around the the sort of oh. the the rubbish in the you know the bits of uh, the sediment the sediment in the fuel uh, caused the engine to fail and you you know you do feel like you're, you're staring death in the face don't you and I can remember standing there praying and actually going please don't let us drown please don't let us drown and it yes. is you just you're at the mercy of the elements it, it's it's horrendous it is you know life-changing it, absolutely I don't think I've ever felt fear like that before yeah. Yeah. and for me it was um um, a lesson in hope because I learned that, and, and this lesson played itself out again with Toby. Like I learned in the lake that day that when I let my terror take over, my fear take over, the thoughts in my head were grim. You know, yes. they were fear-based. I had lost hope. Yet when I focused on, we're going to get there, you know, I've got a wedding to plan now. Yes. <laughs> when I focused on hope and getting to the shore, you know, everything changed. My yeah. strength returned. I could swim better. And, you know, we, we decided that day in the lake we were not giving up. Mm-hmm. And years mm-hmm. later, when we were facing this tough time with Toby, you know, Chris and I talked about we didn't give up on ourselves and love that day in the lake, and we sure weren't going to give up on Toby. Mm-hmm. So that lesson kind of came back many years later. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, now, you've, you've written a book on Toby's terms about all your experiences. And, yes. and this, he, he's, through that book, his, his life story has touched thousands and thousands of people around the world, hasn't it? It's been a, it's been a bestseller. It's been a, um, 
an award-winning book. It just won a gold award. The book has been out two years. It came out in 2010, and it chronicled Toby's life for from the age of about five to the... It was He was nine when I wrote the book, and when the book came out, he was... I think he had just had his ninth birthday, and um, now I'm writing a book that will continue on after his ninth birthday about uh, all his stardom, because this book led us in such a beautiful path. We started volunteering for animal rescue organizations, helping them raise money through Toby's books. Uh, We got to speak to more than 10,000 students around North America together Mm -hmm. because Toby's job expanded. Not only did he work at the hospital now, but we were being called on weekly to go visit libraries and shelters and schools to Mm -hmm. share Toby's message about kindness and and friendship and and being kind to animals yeah yeah his life really is a very positive message that you know some people would have looked at him and his problems and gone I can't do anything with this dog but the fact that you didn't give up he, he became just you know so amazing and touched so many lives he really did he just you know, he, he touched so many lives, ours especially, mm. and I really, truly believe that our lives were better because of Toby. You yeah. know, he he, um, he taught us so much, but he also opened our world up. He, he gave us new opportunities to be in service to organizations and, and people in need, and that was such a blessing for us to be involved in that with him. Yeah, yeah. I, I imagine it was. Um, now, it, his story is so amazing that it, it's being made into a, a, a film, isn't it? It is. I mean, who knew? We adopt a dog to make our family complete. <laughs> and I always laugh and say it was sort of like Toby had this plan because, you know, he, it was like he was giving me content until I got smart enough to put the content into a book. And he was published in Chicken Soup for the Soul on Toby's terms. And then the book on Toby's terms actually got signed to become a motion picture before the book even hit the bookstores. Wow. Yeah. 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 Obviously, they they recognized it was a a jolly good story, didn't they? They did. And you know what? I think what people love about the book is that it's not just a dog book about a dog's life, it's also about how animals can really help us be the people we need to be. And, you know, these powerful life lessons. But it also is a book with a happy ending. And so many of the animal movies and books have a sad ending. And yeah. this book is a really happy ending. Yeah, yeah. Did you enjoy writing it? Oh, you know, it was my first book. I was, <laughs> there was many times I didn't enjoy it, to be honest, but I found the cure. Um, writing it with Toby in the room with me made a big difference. Mm. And what I did is when I would, when I wasn't feeling inspired to write, my husband bought me a software called Dragon Speak, and you, it's a voice recognition program, so you talk into the microphone, and your computer types the words into a Word document. Hmm. And so what I did is I would stand in the room with Toby, and he would be my audience, <laughs> and I would just talk about the stories with Toby, and, and my editors phoned me and said, what's going on here? It sounds like there's two voices in this book. There's this kind of logical, clinical voice, and then there's a really emotive storytelling voice. And I said, well, that's when I'm talking my book. And they said, you got to finish it that way. It's much better. Mm. And so that's how I wrote my book, talking with Toby in the room and, and talking it and telling it instead of typing it. 
Yeah. What better audience could you have than your dog, though? You know, I mean, <laughs> they never go, that bit didn't go like that, or, you know, you didn't say no. that, right? <laughs> exactly. And, you know, one of the things I love about dogs is that they just think everything we do is so amazing. Mm. So, you know, I would I would tell a story about Toby, and his tail would be wagging, his tongue would be hanging out the side of his mouth, like I had told the best story ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. What advice and uh, would you have for people who are sort of who maybe have a, a you know a, a naughty dog or a, well that's they're not naughty are they they're dogs that have um, behaviours that we that aren't convenient for us you know that have behaviour problems mm-hmm. and I include myself in that because I my border collie as I say has been a steep learning curve for me and is is a challenge you know um, <laughs> be, because he missed out on early socialisation he's not destructive but he has other um, challenges so what what right. would you say to us who are sort of struggling with our dogs well the first piece of advice would be if your dog you know was a rescue I would suggest connect back with that rescue organization right away. Sometimes they have information that could help a trainer understand where the roots of the behavior are coming from. But the other thing is that rescue organizations have spent time with your dog or the foster parents have spent time with your dog if it was an adoption, and they might be able to coach you and help you. Some of them have behaviorists on hand and trainers that they could send out to help you. The other great resource is a vet. So whoever your animal's vet is, we want to make sure that the behavior problems aren't, you know, medical related, that there isn't something going on with the with your, your free family member. And then the other thing is to really recognize that just like with kids, you know, not every strategy works first time around. And so we had to work with Toby to try out different ways of, for example, Um, He used to get apprehensive as soon as he knew we were leaving, even if we were just going to the store to get milk and we'd be back in five minutes. He he would watch our routine and he knew we were going somewhere without Mm -hmm. him. And we took him wherever we could. And there might be the time, you know, where we needed to socialize him with being alone. And so we created a saying. We would say, watch the house, Toby. And then we said, we'll be back in a minute if we were just going for errands and it was going to be a short stay. Or we'll, then we'd say, we're going on errands, we'll be back in a while, and that meant a longer time. Or then if we say, going to work, be a good boy, then he knew we were gone for the be- you know a longer part of the day. Mm. And he, he seemed to cope with that. It was predictable. And I can tell you, the days that I didn't say it, those were the days my closet was rearranged. <laughs> oh, bless him. So, you know, pr- creating predictability um, really helped at least Toby with his confidence and knowing that we were returning. So the the advice would be to, to reach out and get that help and to really try and understand, um, you know, what's causing the behavior. Because sometimes you can remove the problem. You know, yeah. we couldn't remove the garbage truck noise because it's going to come to the neighborhood anyhow. But what we did do is we did things like turning the radio on, making sure the radio was always on on Monday. Mm, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a lovely story. Um, so thank you so much for sharing it. Um, where can people find out more about you online? Well, Toby has his own website, <laughs> um, so people can find out about us online at ontobysterms.com. And Toby is T O B Y S ontobysterms dot com, and uh, he has a we've got a Facebook page for Toby's story, and and also on Twitter at. Toby's terms um, on Toby's terms on Twitter. 
Excellent. Thank you so much. And and as I say, although you, you must have been quite confused why Toby had come into your life to begin with, I'm so glad that he did. Me too. Me too. We feel blessed to have had him with us. I do think that sometimes the dog and the people who are meant to be together find each other and then magic happens. We have the links to Charmaine's website on the Dogcast Radio site and I'm really looking forward to watching the film of their story too. During the Middle Ages, Great Danes and Mastiffs were sometimes suited with armour and spiked collars to enter a battle or to defend supply caravans. Lizzie Owen is inspirational. Despite battling a severe condition, she does a huge amount of voluntary work for the charity Dogs for the Disabled that supplied her assistance dog. And as you will hear, she's cheerful and positive, as well as being a fount of information about Dogs for the Disabled. We started off talking about her current assistance dog, Frodo. Yes, he's a successor to Dogs for the Disabled. He's a six-year-old yellow Labrador retriever. Um, he helps me by picking things up. Mm. I have brittle bones, osteogenesis imperfecta. Um, and before I had a dog, I would fracture quite a few ribs when I bent down to pick things up. Mm. So I found out about the charity when I was in sixth form uh, college and applied for a dog. And I got my first dog, Bella, in the year 2000. Yeah. Wow. And uh, now I have Frodo, and Frodo picks things up, opens doors. So my doors at home have dog toys tied to them, and Frodo will pull the toy and the door will open. He'll uh, turn on light switches, so he'll jump up and pull the light switch. Mm. And he'll empty the washing machine. Oh, bless him. So he'll stick, stick it in his head in the drum of the machine and pull the clothes out of his mouth. So that's one of his favourite tasks. Yeah. <laughs> and um, he put plates on my power chair, uh, flip foot plates. So he'll push those for me, push those down for me. Yeah. And that's another one of his favourites. <laughs> and the uh, push buttons to get into some banks yeah. and shops, he can press those for me. Mm. So basically I don't have to do anything. Yeah. Now that, that must be... You know, to, to most of us, it's such a simple thing. Oh, I'll drop something, I'll pick it up. But for you, that that must be a sort of a constant worry. Am I going to crack a rib here? Am I going to break something? So that, that really is a life-changing um, role that he fulfills for you, isn't it? It is, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I don't really... They probably say five to ten fractures a year having a dog. Because um, I'm not having to bend or stretch. Because yeah. he's there, you know, Frodo's there to willingly... Help me. Mm, mm. Yeah. And um, he's a very sociable dog, isn't he? He's been to Crufts with you. Yeah, we've, um, this year was off at, 2012 was off at third year at Crufts. And this year we were doing demos as well. So Frodo helps me to undress and we were demonstrating the sock pull. Oh, bless. <laughs> does that tickle? It doesn't, no. I thought, I mean, Bella wouldn't, wouldn't, uh, do the sock pull. She was quite a sensitive little girl. Yeah. But Frodo is quite a confident, cocky little boy. <laughs> um, and no, he doesn't tickle when they pull the socks off, and they don't nip your toes either. Oh, bless. <laughs> Now I'm gonna I'm gonna have to tell um, Mr. Dogcast about this, my husband, because um, Buddy thinks the only purpose for socks is to pull them. 
<laughs> and so as soon as Anthony gets socks out, Buddy's there going, oh, great, great, you want a game? Lovely. And he's pushing on his legs. And Anthony gets so cross with him. And, you know, I say, he's only playing. But um, I suppose when you're trying to get dressed in the morning, it's not the best time to be <laughs> trying to play. But you, you can put that, that drive to, to a good use, can't you? Yeah, and we try to do all the big games. It's a bit of fun. Yeah. I just want big laugh for him. Yeah, yeah. Yes, because, I mean, that's another thing. Some people sort of think a, a working dog, you know, an assistance dog who's, who's sort of working and on duty a lot, um, you know, sort of that's, that's a, a burden. But they don't see it like that, do they? First of all, they've got a purpose. And yeah. they, they, they quite like being busy, don't they? Yeah, and when he's not doing things, he gets bored and he gets into a little bit of mischief. Mm. So um, one day he was being rather quiet and I went to see what he, what he was up to and I found him in the hall and he'd found his new tube of toothpaste <laughs> and he shredded the cardboard, chewed the lid off and was standing on the tube of toothpaste to get a constant stream of chicken into his mouth. Oh dear. And I bet he hasn't quite learned to use a mop to clean up after himself. Oh no, no. <laughs> Maybe one day. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, you've you mentioned dogs for the disabled, um, trained and, and supplied both Bella and Frodo. Um, and, and you do voluntary work for them, don't you? You help spread the word about dogs for the disabled. Yeah, I write blogs for them every few weeks. Um, I've been ready to speak for them now for over 10 years. So I go to Brownie groups, WIs, and just basically speak about the charity. Mm. Help to raise awareness and funds, and mm. um, do my little bits at crufts. Yeah, yeah. I, but I mean, when you hear about dogs for the disabled, you know you understand it's a um, a worthwhile cause, you know, and a, and a good thing. But it's when you see the dogs in action and the bond between it's the partner and the dog, isn't it? We say partner, not owner. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, when you see that bond. That really brings it home. These dogs make such a difference to lives, don't they? Yeah, I think whether you're disabled or not, it, a, a dog makes such a yeah. difference to your life. But yeah. when you are disabled and you need help physically around the house or out and about, and then, you know, having a dog as well, it also helps you psychologically. Mm. If I didn't have Fred, I'd probably lay in bed all day and wallow in self-pity. Yeah. But I've got him... A reason to get out of bed in the morning. I've got him to feed and walk and groom and things. Mm. So he's kind of brought a purpose to my life. Yeah, yeah. You're you're right. I know what you mean about sort of they they do help psychologically because um, you know for example there's places I wouldn't want to go and walk on my own necessarily. No. But with with Buddy with me, think, yeah, we'll go there. That's fine. That's <laughs> no problem. You know. And as you say, there's there's a reason. I um. I remember reading on Facebook, and I'd heard this before, that sort of um, people are quite suspicious of, of some people walking without a dog, you know, and some of the non-doggy people are going, why on earth would that be? Um, but a dog gives you a reason to get out there. You know exactly what someone's doing out with a dog, don't you? So it does, yeah. yeah. <laughs> gives you validity. Why take a walk without a dog? That's why I say <laughs> Um, yeah. Now, if people want to sort of support Dogs for the Disabled, how can they do that, Lizzie? Um, if they visit the website, www.dogsforthedisabled.org, there's different ways to support the charity. You can sponsor a puppy at £5 a month. There are two sponsor pu- 
a puppy shipping sponsor at the moment, a little chocolate Labrador called Chip, and a German Shepherd Cross, a golden retriever called Scooby. Oh. So you can sponsor either, either of those at mm. £5 a month. Um, you can make a one-off donation or via the website or purchase Christmas cards via the website. Yeah, yeah. And um, people, I mean, if, for, if you want to sort of help more long-term, um, are they looking for puppy socialisers as well? They are, yes. The details for um, socialisers that require them to be the socialiser on the website Um you have to live within one hour of the Banbury headquarters so that you'll have you know, relevant support from the charity when you're a socialiser. Um, and then, similar to guide dogs, you'll look after the puppy from eight weeks of age to 14 months of age and teach it basic obedience, socialise it in different environments and then give the, give, give the puppy back to the charity and hopefully one day it will become a a registered assistance dog. Yeah, yeah. How old was um, Frodo when you got him? He was 19 months. Wow. So he was that little bit younger than... Some, they go out anywhere between 18 months and 24 months of age. Frodo was a little bit younger and probably a bit more green than the normal dog, than first dog would be because he's my second dog and I'm allegedly an experienced handler <laughs> and know what I'm doing, so... <laughs> He was a little bit well, very immature. And... Yeah, yeah. It, it amazes me, because when I think back to what Buddy was like, who's, you know, a Labrador as well, what he was like at sort of 18 months, and I really didn't get there with him till he was sort of four, and yeah. we didn't start, you know, more formal training till he was about five, and then he took to it, you know, very well. But to get such a young dog to do the amazing things they do, I, I, I really admire what the, the trainers must be outstanding. Oh, they're brilliant. Yeah, yeah, incredible. I suppose they've done it quite a few times by now. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think they've trained about 450 dogs. Yeah. In the charity's been going, it'll be the charity's 25th birthday next year. And in those 25 years, they've trained about 450 dogs. Yeah. yeah. Disabled adults, children, and children with autism, so... Yeah. They, they know what they're doing. Yes, absolutely. They're, they're absolutely. Experienced. Yes, yeah. And actually, that's quite a wide range of um, conditions to to supply dogs for, isn't it? Yeah. And um, when the dogs are in the latter stages of socialisation, then the trainers are often able to tell what area of work the dog will be good at. So if the dog's totally bomb-proofed, it may go to the autism project. Mm, mm. You know. Um, yeah. So it's matching the dog with the with the partner. Yeah. 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 Brilliant. Um, now I know that you, you've started your own support group um, locally to you, haven't you? Yeah, I, I started a Leicestershire support group in January of this year. Our main aim is just to to raise awareness and funds for the charity and have a bit of fun doing it. Yeah. yeah. So this year we've raised nine hundred pounds. That's pretty good going. We've had a stall at Burbage Carnival in Leicestershire and and lots of other little things, some uh, can collections. So yeah, yeah. And I bet when when you sort of do an event like that, the dogs must be an incredible help in getting people to the the stall. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, if you've got a dog there, you you know you're doing well. Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, I did a we did a can collection at a local garden centre in the summer, and there was only myself on Friday, and one um, Friday was the only dog on one of the shifts. Yeah. On, on, well, in the whole day, and so we were there for two hours. And the second shift, there was no dog, so they didn't get much money. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, it is. So I think I think we're going to have a cuddly toy next time or something. <laughs> yes. and, you know, if you if you donate, this could be a real dog. Yes, <laughs> that's yeah, that's a good angle. Turn this dog into a real dog. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, but they, I mean, they are incredible. The, the the power and the magic of a dog to sort of attract people, and then you can start talking to them is in, incredible. Cause, yeah. you know, but you know. And you know, with your own pet dogs, they're a great icebreaker. Yeah, yeah, yes, definitely. So, yeah. I mean, I can talk till the cows come home about Friday yeah. and dogs are disabled. Yeah, yeah, incredible. Um, where can people find out more online about the, the Leicester Support Group then? Yes, there's a, um, a link on Dogs with Disabled web, with dogs with disabled website, and we've also got a Facebook group. So. You can Great. find out, you can come and join us, um, help us out at some of the events, or even if you don't want to help out at a natural event, you know, just give some, share some ideas. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Um, well, you know, I think Frodo's obviously um, a big help to you, but you, you are obviously a big help to Dogs for the Disabled, and that's how it goes on and how more money's raised and more dogs can change lives, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I owe dogs with disabled so much. Um, without Bella, my first dog, I doubt I would have, I would have got my degree. And um, now I've got Frodo, and we're doing so many things together and enjoying life together. Yeah. And, you know, it's all down to dogs with the disabled. You can find out more about Dogs for the Disabled and Lizzie and Frodo via the links on the Dogcast Radio website. And many thanks to Lizzie for sharing her time and experience with us. Alexander the Great is said to have founded and named a city, Peritas, in memory of his dog. Well, Buddy is now coming up to the end of his six-week recovery time after his adrenalectomy surgery, and he's doing really well. He started going on longer walks, but still on lead, as he has to avoid running, as it could damage all the tissue that is healing and knitting back together on his wound site. I'm sure he's looking forward to chasing a tennis ball just as much as I'm looking forward to throwing one for him. Autumn is a wonderful time to be out and about with a dog, and I intend to make the most of it. Till next time, look after yourselves and your dogs. Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio, available from www.dogcastradio.com. That's D-O-G-C-A-S-T radio.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us and wherever you are in the world we'd love to hear from you you can do so in a variety of ways you can contact us on skype with the ident dog cast radio that's all one word dog cast radio by email you can contact me on julie at dog when contacting us by email if you have the facilities please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file way we can include them directly in our program we can accept most formats for example wav mp3 all these methods of contacting us can be found on our website which is www.dogcastradio.com and as ever the final word goes to jenny what do you get when you cross a small dog and a large boat
a ship zoo.